Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello everyone, Dr. Casey Grover here again to welcome you to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. Before we start, I need to make an apology. Dr. Stephen Holtzford reached out to me in October as an emergency physician who has made the transition from emergency medicine to addiction medicine. And he made a suggestion to cover the topic of the benefits of and the path to being board certified in addiction medicine. There are so many good topics to cover for this podcast, and I just haven't gotten there yet. So, Dr. Holtzford, thanks for the tip. I haven't forgotten, and I look forward to putting together an episode on that topic soon. Now, we'll move on to today's episode, and this episode will be on the topic of post-acute withdrawal syndrome, often referred to as PAWS or PAWS. As a starter on this topic, I had never heard of it until a few years ago when I was discussing a case with one of my colleagues, and he told me that the patient's symptoms were due to pause. And my response was, what's pause? And while I like to keep this podcast evidence-based, this particular topic really doesn't have a lot of literature on it. In fact, there are zero articles on PubMed that cover this topic. When I searched for the term post-acute withdrawal syndrome on PubMed, I only got three results, and none of the articles were on the topic of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. They just mentioned the phrase somewhere in the article. Now, on the flip side, if you do a Google search, for post-acute withdrawal syndrome, there are literally hundreds of articles on the topic, the vast majority of them written by and written for the recovery community. I've been doing some research on this topic with a few of my colleagues, and we finally found a paper that provided a good overview on the topic. So we'll be covering that paper in this episode, and kudos to my colleague Drew for finding this paper. The paper that we'll be reviewing for this episode is entitled Protracted Withdrawal and is from the publication Substance Abuse Treatment Advisory. The author is listed as Center for Substance Abuse Treatment and the article was published in 2010. The publication is put out by SAMHSA, which if you don't know the acronym is S-A-M-H-S-A. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and that's a part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So this is a pretty reliable source. The article begins with a bit of an overview of substance use in general. The article points out that most clients who are in treatment for a substance use disorder do not feel immediately better after stopping their substance use. 
Clients may feel difficulty controlling impulses. They may have negative emotional states. There may be difficulty sleeping, and there may be cravings to return to drug use. These symptoms may drive patients in early recovery to return to substance use. In some cases, clients have a co-occurring mental health disorder, such as depression, in addition to their substance use. Substance use may have been an attempt to self-medicate to treat this co-occurring mental health condition, and their unmasked depression in early recovery drives these symptoms of negative emotional states. However, the article points out, these negative emotional states, changes in mood, impulsivity, and abnormal sleep may be instead from protracted withdrawal. As we'll find out, protracted withdrawal has many names, one of which is post-acute withdrawal syndrome. The article pivots here to some definitions. We'll start with acute withdrawal. Acute withdrawal is defined by the American Society of Addiction Medicine as, quote, the onset of a predictable constellation of signs and symptoms following the abrupt discontinuation of or rapid decrease in dosage of a psychoactive substance. Such signs and symptoms are generally the opposite of the intoxication effects of the particular substance, end quote. The signs and symptoms of acute withdrawal are variable based on the substance in terms of onset and duration, and acute withdrawal gradually resolves over time. Protracted withdrawal, on the other hand, is the presence of substance-specific signs and symptoms common to acute withdrawal, but persisting beyond the generally expected acute withdrawal timeframe. So, for example, patients in alcohol withdrawal can feel anxious and shaky. And in the case of protracted withdrawal from alcohol, patients might feel anxious or shaky for several weeks rather than the several days of acute alcohol withdrawal. Furthermore, protracted withdrawal can also include signs and symptoms that are not substance-specific, that persist, evolve, or appear well past the expected acute withdrawal timeframe. Going back to our example of alcohol withdrawal, an example of protracted withdrawal might be a person who feels more impulsive than normal for several weeks after stopping alcohol. Impulsivity isn't a specific symptom of alcohol withdrawal. The article goes on to acknowledge that there are multiple names for protracted withdrawal, which include chronic withdrawal, extended withdrawal, late withdrawal, long-term withdrawal, persistent post-use symptoms, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, post-use syndrome, protracted abstinence, sobriety-based symptoms, and sub-acute withdrawal. The article highlights that the lack of research on the topic and the lack of consensus on a name for the condition has precluded it from being included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM. So hopefully we'll start getting some research done on this so we can start putting together a formal definition. And to clarify, at my institution, PAWS, or PAWS, again that's post-acute withdrawal syndrome, is the preferred term. 
I'm not sure if it's a regional thing, but that's what we use at my shop. So I will hereafter call this syndrome post-acute withdrawal syndrome or PAWS or pause. The next question that came into my mind as I was thinking about this topic was how does this happen? And fortunately, the article delves into that topic next. Chronic substance use causes significant changes to the brain on a molecular and cellular level and changes the neurocircuitry. When substance use stops, these changes do not immediately reverse. The central nervous system may take weeks or months to re-equilibrate and adapt to a substance-free state. This is the cause of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. This is most prominent when it comes to pleasure and enjoyment. As we discussed in episode 8 on the neurobiology of addiction, chronic substance use overstimulates the reward system of the brain, which eventually makes normal life devoid of pleasure since the only thing that causes dopamine release is the substance. So, it makes sense that a very prominent symptom after cessation of substance use, therefore, is a lack of pleasure from anything in life. And this lack of pleasure, called anhedonia in the medical world, is a prominent symptom of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Other symptoms of pause as the brain re-equilibrates to a substance-free state include anxiety, sleep disturbances, problems with short-term memory, fatigue, poor concentration, difficulty making decisions, drug or alcohol cravings, impaired cognition, impaired impulse control, dysphoria, irritability, unexplained physical complaints, and reduced libido. The next topic that the article addresses is how symptoms of pause vary between various substances used. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of data here, but we'll go through the limited data that we have about what symptoms are most prominent with each substance. Apparently, this syndrome is best documented with alcohol use disorder. Most common symptoms of post-acute withdrawal with alcohol use disorder include anxiety, hostility, irritability, depression, mood instability, insomnia, reduced libido, difficulty concentrating, and unexpected physical complaints of pain. And unfortunately, the authors don't elaborate more on this. With alcohol use disorder, some of these symptoms can last for years, with sleep disturbances lasting up to three years. The article moves on to opioids, and symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome with opioid use disorder include anxiety, depression, sleep disturbances, fatigue, dysphoria, irritability, and difficulty concentrating. On to methamphetamine. Symptoms of post-acute withdrawal with methamphetamine use disorder may also include deficits in executive function, most prominently in addition to other symptoms of pause. Next, we have cocaine. Symptoms of post-acute withdrawal with cocaine use disorder may include emotional dysregulation and problems with impulse control, most prominently in addition to other symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Cannabis is next. Symptoms of post-acute withdrawal with cannabis use disorder may include disrupted sleep and strange dreams, most prominently in addition to the other usual symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome. 
And last, we have benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines are a bit more complicated as patients with severe anxiety often have rebound anxiety when they stop their benzos. And it therefore can be difficult to determine what is a re-emergence of anxiety symptoms versus post-acute withdrawal syndrome. However, as best we know, symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome with benzodiazepine use disorder include anxiety, panic, and obsessive compulsive behaviors. And with benzodiazepines, symptoms may fluctuate over months. So, let's summarize this section since the data is weak on a lot of this. General symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome are anxiety, sleep disturbances, problems with short-term memory, fatigue, poor concentration, difficulty making decisions, drug or alcohol cravings, impaired cognition, impaired impulse control, anhedonia, dysphoria, irritability, unexpected physical complaints, and reduced libido. However, certain symptoms may be more often experienced after cessation of a certain substance, such as abnormal sleep and strange dreams with cessation of cannabis. And if you're wondering, do all patients experience post-acute withdrawal syndrome? The answer is no. Some patients do not experience it at all. Others experience it for a brief period after acute withdrawal, and other patients experience it for months or even years. Furthermore, the intensity of symptoms varies greatly between patients. Based on this article, we don't have enough data on the topic to be able to actually predict who gets post-acute withdrawal syndrome and to what severity they experience it. Now, we are next on to the final section of the paper, which is how do we treat post-acute withdrawal syndrome, or at least how do we help patients manage their symptoms? The paper recommends 10 strategies, which we will go through one by one. Some of these are not particularly pertinent to the emergency department and acute care setting, but are worth knowing about in general. Number one, educate clients about post-acute withdrawal syndrome and help them to develop realistic attitudes about recovery. Let patients know it's normal to not feel back to pre-substance use life in the early stages of recovery. Help patients develop a plan for how to address their symptoms and remind patients that these symptoms are finite and get better with time. Number two, celebrate each accomplishment in recovery. Encouragement helps patients stay positive through the recovery process. Number three, assess for and treat co-occurring disorders. Make sure patients are able to be assessed, whether by you or a colleague, for co-occurring disorders such as anxiety and depression. If a patient truly has a co-occurring disorder, then they should receive appropriate treatment for that condition, such as an antidepressant for depression. Number four, ask about sleep problems. Sleep problems are a common symptom in post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and fatigue from poor sleep can exacerbate symptoms of pause. Patients may need to learn or relearn good sleep hygiene as the lifestyle of substance use is often very disruptive to sleep. Number five, encourage physical and mental activity. Physical exercise and cognitive activity help the brain to heal after substance use by improving sleep, 
promoting positive emotional states, reducing anxiety, avoiding triggers, and distracting patients from symptoms and cues that may make them want to start using again. Number six, advise clients to be patient in their recovery as all of the life changes can feel overwhelming in early recovery and may worsen stress. Number seven, prescribe medications to reduce symptoms. If there are medications that can help with symptoms or reduce cravings, consider prescribing them to your patient. Some examples would include gabapentin for alcohol use disorder, gabapentin for cannabis use disorder, buprenorphine for opiate use disorder, or a camprosate for alcohol use disorder. We've covered quite a few of these on previous episodes of the podcast, so go back and listen to older episodes if you need a review. Number eight, encourage clients to join mutual support groups. Participation in mutual support groups is associated with increased rates of recovery and time spent in recovery. The camaraderie of meetings can also help promote positive emotional states and distract patients from symptoms. Number nine, refer patients to interventions to improve executive control, such as cognitive behavioral therapy to help the brain to heal and reduce impulsivity and cravings. And last, number 10, be sure to monitor clients on an ongoing basis for symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome during recovery. Okay, that was a fire hose of information. Let's break everything down into some take-home points. Or, better yet, what knowledge and what interventions will I be taking with me and using on my next shift tomorrow? Number one, post-acute withdrawal syndrome is the presence of substance-specific signs and symptoms common to acute withdrawal, but persisting beyond the generally expected acute withdrawal timeframe. Post-acute withdrawal syndrome can also include signs and symptoms that are not substance-specific, that persist, evolve, or appear well past the expected acute withdrawal timeframe. Number two, post-acute withdrawal syndrome has many names, has unfortunately been under-researched, and does not have any formal diagnostic criteria. Number three, chronic substance use causes significant changes to the brain on a molecular and cellular level and changes the neurocircuitry. When substance use stops, these changes do not immediately reverse. Post-acute withdrawal syndrome symptoms are the result of the central nervous system taking time to re-equilibrate to a substance-free state. Number four, general symptoms of post-acute withdrawal syndrome are anxiety, sleep disturbances, problems with short-term memory, fatigue, poor concentration, difficulty making decisions, drug or alcohol cravings, impaired cognition, impaired impulse control, anhedonia, dysphoria, irritability, unexplained physical complaints, and reduced libido. Number five, certain symptoms may be more often experienced after cessation of a certain substance, such as deficits in executive function with methamphetamine use disorder. Number six, we don't yet have the data to predict which patients will experience post-acute withdrawal syndrome and how intense their symptoms may be. Number seven, in general, 
treatment of post-acute withdrawal syndrome involves providing education to patients about the condition, reminding them that symptoms will eventually end, and providing emotional support to them in recovery. Number eight, more specific treatments for post-acute withdrawal syndrome that we as emergency department and acute care providers can provide include helping patients with a disordered sleep, encouraging regular exercise, encouraging participation in mutual support groups, and providing medication as indicated to keep patients in recovery, such as a campersate for alcohol use disorder. Number nine, in my opinion, patients in recovery should have a mental health assessment to screen for co-occurring disorders and to see if they would be a candidate for therapies such as cognitive behavioral therapy. For us in the emergency department and acute care setting, we can do this when patients are under our care or refer patients to the outpatient setting. That's a wrap. I hope you found this episode helpful. Thank you for listening and thanks for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.